Well, we're live. Oh. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take us in or shall I? Um, I guess. Welcome back okay. to the My RD <laughs> Journey podcast. My name is Adam, your producer in-house with me, of course, is the star of the show, Felicia Peraza of Peraza Nutrition, perazanutrition.com, here with another edition of the My RD Journey podcast. Yes. Do you want to tell everybody about the letters after your name? Or do we save that for when they like read stuff? Um, she has a uh, whole encyclopedia of... I feel like we actually titles. haven't gone over this, maybe. Have we not? You I don't are know. you have your masters, that's some letters. Yes. You have your R D, that's some letters. I wonder <laughs> if that picked up it's like a micro motorcycle outside. You have your personal trainer, sir, that's some more letters. Yes. And I probably missed something. Anyway, what are we anyway, talking about today? Uh, so this is the second uh, part of the TTM, the Trans Theoretical Model. Trans Theoretical so. Model. And yeah. um, do we want to talk about what that is? Just a little rehash. This is episode two of a three-part series yes. for the Trans Theoretical Model, the stages of change. Yes. So this is the stages of change. And basically, this is a model that explains how people change their behaviors over time. So um, actually, between the first podcast and this one, I was looking up different research, which we'll put into the... Uh, description Show notes yes. description um but this can be applied to you know uh, stopping smoking you know exercising um physical activity as a whole but also in office outside and then nutrition and wellness and health behaviors so the first um episode we talked about uh, or the second episode in the my rd journey podcast we talked about the first two stages. So that's a bit confusing what you just said just there. Sorry. So it was the second <laughs> podcast we've done as a MyRD journey. So there's another episode about careers and dietetics, which I'll link here in a card if you're watching on YouTube. Also a link in the show notes if you're listening. Um, and our next episode beyond that was part one of a three-part series, but it was episode two of the podcast. Yes. Just to clarify, all relevant links will be in the description or the show notes. Yes. So we've talked about the first uh, two stages of the trans-theoretical model or the stages of change. So first two stages were the pre-contemplation and the contemplation. And then today we're going to be talking about preparation and action. And then our next um, part of the series, which will be the final part, is going to focus on the... um, maintenance aspect and uh, termination which is kind of like a sixth stage that some people recognize and some don't so do you rec- do you recognize that stage or i no? do sometimes people just lump together termination and maintenance uh, but i think they are separate so so we'll talk about them separately okay so that's exciting so do we want to just do did we do or do you want to do a quick recap of the first two stages what they are just a quick 30 seconds elevator pitch yeah so the the pre-contemplation is when people are not ready to change or they're not aware that they need to make a change so they are not thinking about it and if you think about that in the time frame they're not thinking about making any change in the next like six months and then the contemplation is that someone's thinking about it but they're ambivalent so that was the pros and cons are kind of equal and that was like a really big thing that we talked about was that they're kind of on the fence about change um they are a fence sitter they are a moderate yes (laughs) um weird times we're in the election is upon us. Oh, is it? A moderate <laughs> being like someone who's not left or right, a fence sitter. It's another, it's a term used for oh, I describing think I people's political <laughs> opinion. Yeah, whatever. It's, uh, you know, um, the, it remains to be seen. Uh, the state of the world this week will probably radically change mm-hmm. regardless of the outcome. Whatever. We're not here to talk about politics. We're talking about the trans theoretical model. So that was a quick recap of the first two stages. The yes. second two stages Stage three and stage four being preparation and action. And you did mention that a lot of your clients are in one of these two stages when you happen upon them or when they find you. Yeah. So these are actually the two stages that you're 
primarily, if you're seeing clients right now, you're going to primarily see clients in these stages, especially if you're outpatient. So, you know, when I when I say you're primarily going to see these clients, it's, you know, more so in an outpatient setting where like when you say practice. outpatient. Says that exclusively private practice as outpatient because I've heard that term used if you work in a hospital as well. Yeah, so it can also apply to, um, you know, like outpatient. Clinical, I guess yeah, is the term. Yeah, and kind of if you think about and and you know if you're in a an inpatient setting, I mentioned last podcast that you know sometimes you're just kind of seeing a client because you get a referral and so you have to go see them in their hospital bed and so people may not be even thinking about a change at that point or connecting what they're doing to um, you know their nutrition and what they're eating so they're kind of like not really sure they don't know they're not aware so um, they are in what stage of the trans theoretical model pre-contemplation okay generally um but generally outpatient if someone is kind of seeking out your services they generally will probably be in that um preparation stage in the action stage which is what we're going to get into cool so in the preparation stage which is stage three um people are th- ready to make the change so they might be saying things like i will do this that's kind of like a key things so they're not necessarily actively doing it right now but they are saying like i will and kind of a highlight here is that they're ready to make a change within like a month so in 30 days they're ready to to get going so they're kind of preparing so the preparation stage so you just put a time constraint on it something we talked about last time is not using time constraints for a lot of these stages but you're attaching a time constraint to this stage yes why is that so this is generally one where people kind of make a change within 30 days and it's not to say that everyone will change in 30 days but they're at the point where they are over the fence their pros are increasing their cons are decreasing about whatever change they're going to make and they generally do make a change within 30 days otherwise they're probably not in the preparation stage Um, but if you had to put a time frame on it it's not to say if someone gets to you know day 31 that they're no longer in preparation it's a loosely placed yeah constraint well, there is a certain number of weeks usually associated with creating or changing a habit. It's like 21 or 28 days or something. Yeah. So and you're just rounding up to 30, I guess, for that? Kind of. So it's, um, and actually, I, I have that as something to kind of highlight in the maintenance stage because it does actually take longer than 21 days to create a habit. And when you kind of look for that, no one really knows where that comes from, but um, it takes a lot longer to kind it's of- It's a folk tale. Yeah. So we'll talk about that actually in- uh, the last well, okay. <laughs> part of it. I stand um, corrected. It in <laughs> fact takes longer than 21 days to mm-hmm. create a habit. 20 longer than 28 days, I guess. Yeah. I I assume that's associated with the first few weeks being harder of a change. Yeah. Before a habit is formed, but after it's become a part of your ritual, I guess there's an intermediate stage where habits aren't quite formed neurologically, but physically you're getting used to doing something differently so it's sort of a middling period i guess yeah and you kind of think about um and why it's so vastly different too is it depends on the person how long they've been doing something for um you know what kind of attachment they might have to a certain habit but then if you also think about you know the temptations too like those kinds of things they those kind of temptations to go back to old ways generally that can continue up to like two years so but We'll That's a lot that. <laughs> longer than I thought it would be. Two years. Yeah. Where does that come from? Um, actually, one of the studies I was reading, which we'll get we can to link next it podcast. if we have a. If <laughs> we, well, we can link it next time, I guess, if we get into that more in depth. I don't think we were planning to go down that road. No, yeah, because most one. yeah most people aren't necessarily in that uh, habit forming stage just yet. They're kind of building it at this point. But. Um, okay, so do we yeah. want to 
dive a little deeper into preparation exactly what it is what are the stages or what 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 are the characteristics of this particular stage like uh, what are people saying in this stage what are people doing what do you want them to do yeah so people at this stage again i mentioned the i will so that's like a huge indicator where they are in this this uh stages of change so the i will i will start exercising i will um eat more vegetables or they might have taken small steps so like i found a gym i can go to or i found an exercise class and so they're kind of thinking and planning so that's kind of a key part of this preparation is they're they're making the plans and they're taking these small little action steps to kind of put things in motion they're gearing up for action it sounds like yes they're getting ready to act Um, And a lot of times when I have people come to me in this stage, they'll say, I know I have to do it and I'm ready to do it, but I don't really know what to do. Like, what should I do? And so that's why they often come and see me because they're like, I, I, you know, losing weight is kind of the big one or I know I need to get my blood sugar under control, but I'm not really sure how to go about doing it. So they acknowledge that there's a problem. They're ready to make some changes, but they're not really sure what those to be. So that's a a key distinction between contemplation and preparation is when they're actively acknowledging okay i have this issue it needs to be addressed i am ready to make that change i know that i need to make a change to correct an issue yeah something like that they're affirming positively that there is a thing to be corrected that seems like a very key distinction between preparation and contemplation yeah you want them actively acknowledging what their issue is in preparation exactly so they're saying a lot of i will I'm going to, and um, finding things that they can incorporate into the, into their lives. Like when you said that they like someone who would find a gym, mm-hmm. you know, or they they're experimenting with foods or something. Yeah. So any kind of like taking small steps. So sometimes you know the gym is kind of like you know they find a gym, they find a class, or they find a YouTube channel that they enjoy. But um, they might be also identifying some recipes that they might incorporate, or thinking about different vegetables they could put on their shopping list, and they're just in this like preparing to so if, if maybe their goal um and that's kind of a highlight of the stage two is starting to set goals um to put into action which would be the next stage um but they would be planning these goals and then saying okay how am i going to get there what's what's the most common thing in your experience when you get a client you're trying to gauge where they are and you discover that they're in preparation what's the most common thing that sets that off for you like, what's the most common thing you hear said that tells you, okay, this person's in preparation? Usually it's the, I know I need to do this. I just don't know what to do. Or it's like, tell me what to do, which normally I don't just tell people what to do anyway, but that's the biggest, that's usually like the first thing out of their mouth is like, I, my doctor told me this and I know I need to do this and I'm ready to do this. I just, I don't really know where to start or I don't know how to get this going. Okay. So they're, they're actively and openly inviting your recommendation and they are willingly and openly acknowledging a change needs to be made and they're seeking guidance. Yes. Yes. Actively seeking guidance for change. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's kind of a highlight too, is, you know, like they're looking for that guidance. And a lot of people time in that preparation stage will say to me that they've tried different things in the past and they may or may not have worked. And now they're coming to me and they're like, okay, I've tried this and this, and now I, I want this to work long-term. So that's another thing I might hear from people is that they're like, I've tried to lose weight in the past or I've tried to control my blood sugars, but you know, now I'm, I'm here and they might've had a slew of things that have happened over the last couple of years. And now they're like, okay, what's something I can do long-term? <laughs> so they're ready and they're like, I, I'm ready for this like lifestyle change. 
So lay it on me <laughs> kind of thing. So. so what happens? You get the client. They're in preparation. Mm-hmm. They signal to you that they are willing to receive whatever guidance. What's been your experience from there with that client? What do you what do you then do? What do you take them through? And and what what's the what does the path look like to get from preparation to action? Yeah. So the first thing is to identify what the goal might be, um, and making it a smart goal. Which um, I don't know if we talked about smart goals on this before. What's but, a smart goal? Um, what's so, a stupid goal? <laughs> so the the smart there really are no stupid goals, but the smart goal would be. Um, in a specific, measurable, attainable, or achievable, um, realistic, and then time-bound. How do you define realistic? So realistic for them. So if you think about like losing 10 pounds in a week, um, might not be realistic. I mean, who's that realistic for? Well, exactly. Anybody, 10 pounds in a week? (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's a lot of those fad diets, actually. Um, We just drop a bunch of water weight? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Or like realistic as in how much can someone change at once? So often I get a lot of clients who are like, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And they're like really excited, which can be a really good thing. But sometimes it can set them up for, you know, kind of not hitting all the points and then they get discouraged. But really they just like threw way too much on themselves at once. So with the SMART goal in particular, you know, we identify it being specific. So uh, when we think about healthy eating, people will say, I want to eat better. I'm like, okay, well, what does that look like? What specifically does that look like? You know, does that mean eating more vegetables at dinner? Does that mean, you know, exercising? And, and then we start to define that more. So so that's a SMART goal. It's It's relative depending on where the person is at that point. Yeah. And so like for exercise in particular, and this is this is a, a key thing to do in this preparation stage is define what the goal is going to be. And so let's say if it's exercise, you know, it might be that they want to, if they're starting from no exercise, we might say, okay, well, what's, what's realistic to start with? Or what do you think would be um, achievable for you? And so, Running a marathon tomorrow. <laughs> and so some people might say, you know, I think I'll start off with one day per week or two days a week. Um, and then from that, we might kind of break it down even more to say, okay, what time of day? And so I'll, I'll often get clients who say like, well, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> so, and then I'm like, well, okay, so what time of day would be good? And I'm like, well, maybe on my lunch break. And so we might say, okay, two days a week at lunch break. And then we'll define, okay, what's the time frame on that? So is it 20 minutes? Is it 30 minutes? You know, and so that kind of thing. So a really specific goal yeah. makes a goal smart, I guess. Yeah. and you, More specific? And when you think about it, you want it to be something that someone can track and measure. So, you know, that way they know if they've achieved it, you know. So if they say, I'm going to exercise for 20 minutes, two days a week, they can look back and say, I exercised for two days this week on Tuesday and Thursday, and it was 20 minutes. And they can kind of, they know exactly that they've accomplished it. Yeah, I could see your goals being easier to hit and maintain if they aren't overly complicated too. Yeah. You know, because if it's harder to track mentally and you have to physically track it, either like a written thing or through an app, you're just giving yourself more things to forget to do. But if you can just recall simply, oh, yeah, Tuesday, Thursday, I, I exercise 20 minutes, boom, yeah. done. And depending on the person, like I have some clients who, you know, when we start to do goal setting, they they like to get really, really specific, like to say exactly what they're going to do on Tuesday and exactly what they're going to do on Thursday. Like Tuesday, they're going to go for a walk and Thursday, they're going to do this specific workout. And I have other clients who like to leave it more open so they could be flexible and they'll say, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, I'm going to just kind of leave it up to cardio or whatever I feel like doing, you know, so they have the goal set of here's what I'm going to do, but they're just like 
leaving it more open. Um, Is that worse or better? Does it matter? Not necessarily. It depends on the client. And that's where that's where it's my role to check in with them and see what's working and what um, feels the best for them because they know themselves best. And that's kind of the whole thing <laughs> with this TTM. Yeah, is, well, that's kind of our pattern here. <laughs> yeah, like you're partnering with them and you're helping them unlock what'll work. So I can't tell them like you well, that's not going to work for you. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, they so know we're, we're talking about goals here. Um, and that's one thing you do in the preparation stage is, is you help your the client set smart goals. Mm-hmm. And and, and smart, setting smart goals is one of the things that helps move the client from preparation into action. Yes. What are some other things that we do to help the client move from preparation into action? Like I'm a dietitian. We, what do you do? <laughs> um, setting a start date actually can be really helpful. So sometimes people kind of spend. That's also a time constraint. It is. But sometimes people spend so much time preparing. And this is where it kind of depends on the person. I've had so many clients where they, they prepare and they prepare and they prepare and they don't actually take action and they get themselves so overwhelmed and like that everything needs to be perfect that they don't actually do anything. So in the, in the business world, this is known as planning and execution. Okay. So there, it's the same thing where people get stuck in the planning stage for months or years when they're planning to launch a product or service or start a service within their company, that planning stage can stretch infinitely and you get caught in this it's a trap Mm -hmm. because you think you want more information you don't have the uh, exact thing you need and you're you make all these excuses it's really easy to fall into that planning trap Mm -hmm. where you never pull the trigger and actually execute the thing it's often better to start a little sooner than you think you should because once you get going you'll build momentum you'll correct course from there but if you if you decide to wait you can wait forever Mm -hmm. So th- this sounds very similar to that. That's a business thing they talk about with like management and, and like leadership and stuff like that where like it's it's funny. It's, it's very analogous, planning and execution versus preparation and action. So yeah, I can see the preparation stage being something that you kind of have to help people into and through, but also kind of push them out of yeah. where a time constraint could then I see be um, really valuable. Yeah. So, you know, an appropriate use of time constraints is uh, fortunate. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, not like... Um, I, I'm, I'm, I was just a little surprised because before in, in pre-contemplation and contemplation, it seemed like a time constraint was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And um, now that I'm seeing the, uh, the parallels here between like something a lot of businesses do and a lot of consulting companies when they come in kind of, you know, you're almost, you're consulting, you're, you're in a way someone's consultant for what they eat. Yeah. You know, so it's <laughs> yeah. very, it's very analogous in that, in that regard. Yeah. And it's funny because now that you kind of brought it to business, you know, if, if anyone listening or watching this is um, a dietitian looking to go into private practice, that's kind of the biggest thing is sometimes people, pull the trigger. Yeah. People Do get it. stuck in the planning phase. And even I did that too, you know, where it's kind of spent extra time in the planning phase before even, you know, launching the practice itself when it's like, just, just do it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I come across a lot of people that are thinking about starting a YouTube channel or a podcast or something like that. And I'm practically kicking them off the cliff. You know, I'm like, I'm throwing them into the water. Like just, just swim, go. <laughs> just do it. Do, well, yeah. You have to start. Yeah. You have to get started. It's so much better to just start without, with incomplete information and then just mm-hmm. correct course from there. Because what's the worst that can happen? You know, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You fumble a little bit and then you figure it out from there. 
Mm-hmm. You could you could stay in preparation or planning or whatever you want to call it for literally years. Yeah. And then, you know, then what? Five years later, you still haven't started. Exactly. And that's where, you know, when a lot of people go to see a dietitian and, you know, you're working with people, it's, you know, being able to kind of provide them with that support to say, like, it's okay to just get started, but also helping them as they kind of move from preparation into action to say, you know, that they're everything they're doing is moving them forward. So even if they feel like they haven't reached a goal yet, it's still moving them forward versus where they were just thinking about. <laughs> yeah. So if if you start something, if you act and you discover that you were ill prepared, you've probably made much more progress than if you were just still preparing. Mm-hmm. Because at least you've tried and you've done something. And if you've tried and failed, you've made more progress than not trying at all. Exactly. That seems deceptive, but the net gain, even though it's a failure, it's still a net positive. You know, one thing I could I could easily draw this to is someone trying to stay sober and they decide to start, you know, sobriety, a period of sobriety, and then they lapse and then they're a failure. But like how many days did you go without mm-hmm. with, with with being sober? Yeah. Compared to prior to that where you just wanted to try it. You know, a temporary lapse or a failure in action does not mean you should have stayed in preparation for longer yeah it's better to start and try and build the skills and get used to get used to action rather Mm -hmm. than um you know convincing yourself it's um it's creative avoidance is one of the terms used a lot i heard that yeah it's where you know you're you're giving yourself more reasons to not act because you know Mm -hmm. If you're doing something right now, if you're in a, in a stage of life or doing things, it's easier to just maintain that than it is to actually change. Yeah. And this, in, in essence, is a change. Yeah. You know? And it's, you know, you brought up a good point with... Um, Thanks. <laughs> that made me think of, you know, with the idea of like failure and all that is, you know, I always ask clients, um, well, one, I usually try to reframe it as like learning opportunities, um, but I always ask people, you know, well, what did you learn from it? You know, so if something went totally off the rails for them, I'm like, well, what did you learn from the experience? And, you know, sometimes it means more planning, you know, more things to have ready for themselves on hand in terms of like maybe having more snacks available or maybe like, you know, not planning their workout at 6 a.m. because it's unrealistic for them to get up at 5. Yeah, <laughs> so, failing, failing so it's, is not, it's not a waste of time. No. You a, learn and you get better. Exactly. So failing Trying to act and failing is better than infinitely preparing. Yeah. And a lot of people are afraid of failing, which is why they can kind of get stuck in this stage. Um, and oh, it's, why it's, it's an ego hit. Yeah. And you know why it's good to have, you know, I, I keep saying the dietitian, but it's good to just have support overall, whether it's the dietitian as being one, but also, you know, their family, you know, their friends, people that can be like, hey, it's okay, you know, or just to kind of pick them up a little bit too when they're in this kind of getting ready um, and maybe taking some of those smaller steps. Okay, so so one of the things we talked about in terms of helping a client get into action, move into action, was to set a goal and then also to set a time constraint, I guess, for that goal. Is there anything else that you use to try to move people into action from preparation? Yeah, so the goal setting a start date, um, which sometimes if I'm talking with people, sometimes it tends to be like the following week. Um, usually it's not, you know, 30 days out, like we mentioned. Um, but sometimes that goal can be like, okay, I'm going to start exercising. That's my goal. I will, you know, so they're in the preparation there. I'm will, but they're not ready to say, I'm going to start next week. They need to gather the resources. So that's where that 30 days kind of time frame comes in. They gather information, you help them gather information, and then maybe they're ready to set the goal 
set the date and, you know, then move into that action stage. Um, But a key thing here is identifying any kind of barriers or obstacles. So a lot of times when I work with clients, they've already tried making changes and they may have, you know, gone back to their old habits. Um, And so one key thing is identifying what stands in their way. So what kind of barriers stand in their way? Um, And then asking them what's worked in the past to kind of, you know, work through that barrier. So that's a huge part of this kind of preparation stage is not just setting the goal, but identifying what can get in their way while they're putting this into action. So there's a lot of value to identifying the obstacles because they're going to face them anyway. Mm -hmm. And if you identify them in advance, those obstacles become something known versus, you know, the great unknown or they're more scary. When you put these obstacles front and center and identify them, I think that helps to make them less intimidating. Yeah. And it also increases their confidence level and, um, you know, willpower is something that gets thrown around a lot. But, you know, being able to identify what has worked in the past, you know, identify they're not these big, scary unknowns, but to say, here are some things that I can do instead. It increases confidence. It increases like I can do this attitude, which all kind of helps keeping people motivated and going. So, okay. So we've got a client in preparation. Mm -hmm. We identify goals. We set a time constraint. We identify obstacles to prepare them, to face them. We build their confidence and we bolster them with motivation and support. Mm -hmm. Then we're moving into action. Yes. Okay. What are the characteristics of action? What do you look for? Um, I'm interested mostly to know how you know someone has actually transitioned into action. Like, what is the telltale sign that says, I'm in action now? Yeah, so it's the I am stage, which is like, I am exercising. I am exercising three days a week. I am eating more vegetables, you know, and they're they're actively doing it um, and they're building it up week by week. So it might have started, let's say, week one action that they are eating more, let's say like a cup of broccoli at dinner on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm using Tuesday, Thursday. (laughs) Um, And so they're like, I am eating more vegetables. And so at this stage, you know, they might be be building it up. So they might say I'm eating vegetables two days a week and now they want to bump it up to three. And so they're kind of building upon and building upon and they're actively doing these things. Same thing with exercise too. You know, they might've started walking for 10 minutes, three days a week, and now they're kind of actively adding to that or some people keep the same goal so they want to exercise for you know three days a week 10 minutes and they might do that for two or three weeks until they're ready to move into um, you know adding more time or adding in a different exercise or whatever it is but they are actively doing it so so we are in action when there is action being taken yes (laughs) that's pretty simple i am is the uh, moniker of speech so I like that. I, you know, I really wasn't like researched on TTM before we started doing these podcasts. So I'm, I'm kind of learning about it as, as you are as, as well. So um, what I like about this is that there is a very clear identifying phrase for each stage. Mm-hmm. Can we quickly recap? And this is what I do here. I just throw <laughs> these curveballs. We're not prepared for this. I'm testing your knowledge <laughs> on the spot. What's the phrase for pre-contemplation? I can't or I won't. Okay. And then contemplation? I may. And then preparation. Preparation is I will. So we're at pop quiz. We're at action, which is... (laughs) I am. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a... And these are very clearly defined things that people say, 
in their speech all the time. You're not going to have to fish for these lines. Mm -hmm. It's just going to come out during conversation. Very easy to pick up. I, I am more and more impressed with this trans theoretical model as I learn more about it you will undoubtedly discover people using these telltale lines in their speech, no matter what you're talking about, in any stage of change for anything. Mm -hmm. So this is a really good model for, for what you do. It applies really well. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. And at this stage, um, you know, people are actively doing it. They're in the IM. They're, you know, doing the thing where you can... They're doing the thing. <laughs> That's probably... They're doing the thing. That's, you know... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you just did that. I did. Oh well. No one can see that if they're listening. So she held her hands up above her head <laughs> in confusion, looking at the ceiling. Isn't there like an emoji? No, okay. There's an emoji that does that. I use that a lot. Pepe hands. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Oh, anyway. <laughs> um, a dietitian can be really helpful in this stage because. We, you mentioned lapses and um, the idea of a relapse. I did. You completely did. unrehearsed. Amazing. <laughs> and that's actually um, something. Is that part of the stage? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, where people are, they're doing it, you know, things are going well, they're exercising three days a week, and then like They're stress. doing the thing, and yeah, then something the happens. Thing. Yeah, stress happens, the holidays, you know, what are, literally anything. Holidays are coming. <laughs> it is coming. That's right. It is the season. <laughs> oh, yes. It's November. It is November. Um Insane. <laughs> and so... It was summer last week. It was. I swear. <laughs> that is true. Um, people can get discouraged in this stage where they feel like they're going, everything's going well. They're really excited about the changes they're making. They're seeing progress. And then all of a sudden something throws them for a loop and they're like, not again, you know, and then they start to get discouraged with themselves. And so this is where one, having support, but also having, you know, the dietitian there to you know, help everybody kind of take a step back, you know, and this is kind of what I do with clients in this stage. They're doing things, you know, they're going, everything's going well. And then we take a step back to say, okay, well, one, what threw you off track? And sometimes it's stress, um, which is kind of a highlight of things happening <laughs> right now. Um, and then sometimes it's, you know, they had a change in their career or their job, you know, a family member, anything like that. And so we take a step back and say, okay, well, what you what do you think would be realistic moving forward? And sometimes you have to, you know, reformat the goals, you know, because the goal they set a month ago might not be the same goal that applies right now. And sometimes we have to kind of bring it back a little bit um, or switch things up, you know, so often like with food in particular. Um, I'll have clients who are eating really well. Maybe they're doing like salads, you know, for lunch and they're cutting up their veggies and then all of a sudden, you know, something changes where they're watching grandchildren. They're like, how am I supposed to prep all my food and, you know, have everything ready to go? And then that's where we might brainstorm and say, okay, what um, maybe they might get more frozen stuff. And it's just kind of helping to identify the barrier and creating a solution that'll work for them in that moment. But you're kind of tweaking. So they're not backtracking phase uh, stages here. It's just they're in the action stage. They want to keep it going. It's just what does that look like now? So, so they may have to change their behaviors or their um, their habits to roll with resistance <laughs> to their plan, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, life, you know, happens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it hands you lemons. You got to make lemonade. Right. I was about to get real weird and preachy <laughs> there for a second, but I'm, I wonder where I'll, that was going. I'll pull it back. So <laughs> what's interesting 
is, and this kind of speaks to, you know, I'm assuming anyone who's listening to this, well, may be a prospective dietitian, but also may just be a person. Either way, what, what this comes down to is you are helping someone through something that you have seen other people through and helped with before. Mm-hmm. These people are relying on you for an expertise to know what they're going through and know how to help them through it. You know, you're, it's, it's kind of a distinction where it's like, you know, there are a lot of roles like this mm-hmm. where the value may not be crystal clear to the person who's in the position of receiving the guidance or the help, but you having been through this with dozens or hundreds of people before has a lot of value. It's a lot like a manager with a team of employees or like a general on the battlefield with a bunch of soldiers. Mm-hmm. You know, you're leading people. You have an expertise, you have a skill set where you as the dietitian, you know what they need to do next. You have to help them get to that thing. They don't know that you know that, and they don't know what they're doing. Like these clients, they don't know what they're going through. They're going through paces, and you're guiding them through it, but they can't see the big picture the way you can Mm -hmm. as the dietitian. They're not overtly aware of these stages of change. They're not overtly aware of what they're doing and how it's really affecting their body or their lifestyle or how they're creating habits. You're the expert here. So you have to help them through these things. That's where your value comes in, Mm -hmm. you know, and this model and these stages of change really speak to um, just how necessary a dietitian is. There's a lot to manage here. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the skill set and the expertise is extremely valuable, whether or not the client or society as a whole seems to see it that way. Now, you're helping people through these stages and you're helping them manage changes in their lives and you being the expert, the dietitian, you've seen this before. Mm-hmm. You know what they can expect. You know what they should do and how they should do it. But you have to kind of code it in a way that helps them pick it up better. So I'm. this is not something that we talked about talking about, but like how, how do you, do you have to be as delicate with that in this stage as you were in pre-contemplation and contemplation where it was more about like gently leading versus, all right, do this, this, and that. Yeah. So there's still the idea of partnership that you always want to keep. And, you know, at, at any stage, if you tell someone what to do, especially unsolicited, you can provoke resistance. So they'll, you know, want to do the opposite often. Um, but this doesn't necessarily mean that you can't give expertise and give insight. So an example here is um, I have a lot of clients who will be actively doing something. They find that they, you know, kind of have a misstep or a mishap and they're like, what should I be doing or what should I do? And so one thing is to never really use your own experience. Like, well, I do this because it puts you on a pedestal sometimes. And then people feel like they have to hit yeah. this like golden thing. So what I usually frame it as, which is not a lie because I always <laughs> have a lot of clients in these stages is um, I'll say, well, here's what my other clients have tried. And you give them a menu of options. Um, and I'm not sure if we mentioned this before, but you don't want to give too many options because it could be overwhelming. But usually like three or four tends to be kind of like a good sweet spot. More than two. Yeah. But not 15. Yep. So I'll give them a menu of options and say, does anything stand out to you or have, or are you thinking something else? Because sometimes as you're talking through, people think of something. But if you, you know, leave it as like you have to choose from these three, they feel like they're stuck and they almost want to please you. Um, oh, well, the dietitian told me I should do this. But you're still leaving them in this, they're the expert in their own lives. So you're giving them information. Here's some ideas of what my other clients have tried. 
and then you give them options. You say, anything stand out to you that might be helpful or did you think of something else? Yeah. The more I hear about this stuff, the more it reminds me of management where you have a team <laughs> of employees and you're trying to guide them to the right thing, but you know what the thing is. Mm-hmm. So, but you, you need them to be able to make the decision on their own. It's yeah. much more powerful that way. That never stops applying to all of these stages of change. So we, we talked last time when we talked about the first two stages, one of the things that we went through that I think is probably valuable for anyone who's you know, looking to get into dietetics or is working with clients, we talked about specifics. So we, we talked about lines, things people would say, mm-hmm. things you would say to a client in stages like the pre-contemplation and contemplation. We talked about like what you would say. Yeah. Literally what you would say. And I think we drew upon some specific client cases. Mm-hmm. Are you able to provide us with any of that? You know, I hate to backtrack too much, but in preparation, yeah. what kind of things would you say to the clients to help them come to their own thing and, um, you know, you're leading the horse to water, I guess. What, yeah. what, what would you say? So let's say we have a client and I've had a lot of clients um, that say this is, um, you know, I want to start exercising. I'm not sure how or what to do. So if they're in the preparation stage, they haven't started exercising, they want to do it, they're ready to, but they're not really sure how, and that's where they're coming to me, um, kind of sometimes as the personal trainer <laughs> instead. Um, but so they'll say that, and so I'll say to them, okay, so what were you thinking about with exercise? The, and so sometimes they'll jump into it and say, well, here's what I did before. And if not, what I'll say to them is, what have, what have you tried in the past? What has worked well in the past? And you draw upon their experience. And then from that, I'll say to them, okay, what were you thinking in terms of what might be realistic to maybe start with? You know, how ma- have you thought about maybe how many days you might want to start with? And this is where it depends on the client. So I sometimes have clients where they're ready to start planning, you know, they're ready to do all these things and then like really jump into action. And I have some people who are like, I, I don't know, you tell me, like, what should I start with? I don't know. I I don't normally exercise and I'm ready to do this. And then that's where I'll say, would it be okay if I shared some information about exercise with you and some ideas of what other clients have tried? And then you can let me know what you think might work best. And so for some clients, I might talk about, you know, different um, body weight exercises they could do, or I might share with them some resources and let them decide. So that's where this kind of resource aspect comes in. And this is preparation. Yeah. So they're ready, but they're not sure how. And so I give them some information, allow them to kind of take time to digest it. And then we schedule a session for maybe like a week later. So they, and it depends on the client, but sometimes it'll be a week where they take time to digest all the information we just talked about and think about what'll work for them. And then that's where we get into the action kind of um, aspect in terms of setting the goal itself. Um, And then that moves them closer to action. And these, you know, it's not like all of a sudden it's just like a, a turnover point it's kind of like a uh when you go from preparation to action it's it's very like i don't know it's fluid. blended it's yeah fluid. <laughs> it's yeah. fluid uh, i was trying to think of the right word yeah but. no you blend into it it's not a hard stop and then a start yeah so uh, but usually it's, again it's gathering the information you know and really identifying what's going to work for them and taking that step and that's you know i mentioned taking steps but that's kind of like a really classic sign of moving the preparation to action is they they start seeing what'll maybe work and sometimes people will say um let's say i sent them information and then we haven't set a goal yet and they'll come to me at the next session and they're like, oh, I started walking on Mondays at 10 o'clock, you know, and they'll like have taken a step. Okay. And, you know, it wasn't like a clearly defined goal that we had just yet, but they that's took a, good a step. Yeah. And so that's where we might, I might say, well, that's awesome. Like, 
would it, how did you feel about that? Or, you know, and, and sometimes people are just start building their goals right there. And it's not really much in terms of prompting from me. It's just, you know, I gave them some information that they were looking for and they kind of like took it and, and went with it. So that's where it's kind of like just all of a sudden blend. <laughs> okay. Into. Yeah. So then, so when then as we're blending into action, um, so that was all everything that you would say, some specifics on preparation. Yes. Can you give us some examples for action, specific cases maybe that you can recall, something prominent in your mind, things that you would say, like literally things that you would say to a person in action or maybe an example of some dialogue? Yeah, so if someone's in action, usually they, if they're, if they're actively exercising, let's just say, sometimes they don't necessarily need me to talk to them more about exercise, but... Sometimes if people are exercising three days a week, they're like, I'm kind of getting bored with what I'm doing and I want to bump it up. What would you suggest? And that's where I could give them some ideas or bring it back to nutrition. Someone might say, you know, I've been eating more vegetables, but I'm thinking of adding in more fruit now. And so they're kind of action planning with health as a whole. And they've added in vegetables. They want to add in fruit. And they're wondering what the best kind of way to go about that. So they're they're in this active action stage. And then that's where I'm kind of helping them re-kind of set the goals. I will say with action, a lot of times where I come in is with the reframing aspect and like helping people troubleshoot and with um, barriers. So what that usually looks like is um, often I have people jump into action they're ready to go. And then all of a sudden they're like, it rained on Tuesday and I couldn't go for my walk. And then I just, you know, then I got caught up with work and then it's like all of these things happen. And they're like, I feel really disappointed. You know, I know I said I was going to exercise three days and now, and it's just, you know, and we take a step back. And so I might say to them, okay, well, what did you learn from that? What do you think might be helpful moving forward? And sometimes it's, getting resources for indoor exercises they could do yeah i was gonna say that's an easy fix just like walk around in your house or something yeah and we're some, sometimes people um like i have a lot of people where they're you know at home now with more people because of um you know working at home and so they're like it's sometimes it's hard to you know figure well, out a lot of people are working from home right now that's so <laughs> weird how come um that should not be named i don't think yeah, <laughs> we don't need to talk about it um but, you know, sometimes people are like, I, it's really hard to exercise because this person's telling me to do this. And sometimes it's it's putting themselves first. So that's sometimes an action stage is telling them that, you know, this is a priority that you've identified. How do you put yourself first? If you want to help others, you have to help yourself first. No, but that's really. Well, it's like it's the cheesy. plane's going down. Put your mask on. <laughs> that's first. exactly. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes. But like, you know, this is sort of a more macro thing with the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's honestly where a lot of my clients struggle when they fall off track. It's because they put other people first. And it's it's really hard to, you know, take the time for themselves. But when I have clients that realize that and they're like, I I know that eating well gives me more energy and then sets a better example for my kids. And this is a priority. So when I'm stressed and I don't plan and I don't have the healthy food on hand, then everything else kind of falls away. And so they identify and that's where the conversation comes in in the action stage, when you ask the questions, what worked well, what do you think, you know, you might do for next time? And you ask them, you know, they know, but you asking the questions helps them move forward in action. Okay. That's a lot of stuff there. So that was what you'd be looking for in terms of specifics. Yeah. In action. (laughs) No, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, uh, we talked about time constraints a Mm -hmm. little bit. Um, 
and I assume you have a time constraint. Well, first, that's, I'm, I think I'm, I'm getting a little too far ahead. So y you generally want to measure stuff as you're doing this. Yes. So you um, one of one thing that can help someone stay motivated is tracking and measuring progress. Yes, absolutely. I, I assume you have methods for that. Yeah, it depends on the client. So. Um uh, sometimes it depends, uh, you know, with exercise, I have clients who like check off a calendar or like put it in their calendar that they, they exercised or, um, they use apps for tracking their workouts. And so they can kind of see over time with food, um, tracking food. Sometimes, um, it really depends on the client because sometimes that can actually derail goals, um, where people kind of hyper-focus on calories and not food quality. So usually I like people to track specifics, like what their goal is. So if their goal is, to add more vegetables at dinner, you know, track that specific thing. Um, but it really depends on the client. Um, I don't suggest tracking weight, but the habits, because people focus too much on the weight and not what they're doing in the moment. Yeah, weight's not really a good measurement for a lot of things. It's, eh, I mean, if you fluctuate a few pounds, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, and you fluctuate throughout the day and throughout the week. So tracking the habits is, is a way better you know, approach to it. Cause it, that's, what's going to change weight over time too. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> what you're well, doing. Your, your health can be positively impacted without much of a noticeable change in your weight too. I yes. mean, your blood pressure can go down. Your, your, um, your resting heart rate can, can go down. You can develop better lung capacity. You can get mm -hmm. more, more muscular density and, and stronger bones without your weight in being impacted. There's a yes. lot of things that can change in a positive way that your weight wouldn't show. Exactly. And healthy eating and dietetics is going to be a, a good like way of getting to those changes. Exactly. And that's one of those things too, like with exercise, when I have clients that are starting with strength training, sometimes their weight doesn't change. Um, and so what I have them do is track, you know, uh, you know, beginning measurements. So in terms of how many push-ups they might be able to do, how many sit-ups, you know, how long it takes them to walk a mile or whatever it is. And by the time they get to the end of whatever routine that I've designed for them or, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is, we track those things again to see like strength increases. And I'm, this is kind of more body weight at home, but well, you're, you're veering in the territory of personal trainer right now this is my yeah. RD journey <laughs> are you suggesting that rds start looking into fitness as a thing that they do too as Not, a private practice or so one thing to to just i guess bit of a tangent here bring it sorry <laughs> so one way to kind of like bring it back a little bit for a second is it's a good know, thing you apologize because <laughs> i would have been really offended if you hadn't um exercise is within the scope of practice for dietitians to talk about generally ah um, so interesting distinction yeah so, so you as a dietitian do have grounds to speak about exercise in a general sense yes so you could talk about like the cdc recommendations what aerobic exercise is what strength training is how much is recommended per week those kinds of things that's important to know yeah um and that's and part of it is because that all plays a, a role in you know someone's energy needs and and how you would work with them the idea of setting up like a workout plan that's specific and tailored now that would be out of the scope for a dietitian generally, unless they have some other um, certification. So uh, yeah, like you have your ACSM or ASCM or whatever it is. Yeah, ACSM personal trainer, or like there's a certified um, sports dietitian. Um, and so there's levels of different credentials. So um, but if you don't have a credential as a personal trainer or any kind of physical fitness credential, you still have the ability to within the scope of your practice discuss general fitness advice yes which i i think is a really smart thing to take advantage of mm -hmm. yeah 
And that's where, you know, when you talk to, to clients about, and again, you know, before I was a personal trainer, I used to just recommend people saw a trainer to get started with just so a lot of people were totally new to exercise and, you know, before going to the gym and using machines. And so they're like, I don't even know where to start. Um, but they might have started, usually I like talk to people about starting with body weight stuff, you know, going for a walk, you know, you could talk to people about that kind of thing or um, what they've tried in the past and what they'd be wanting to incorporate now. So some people like biking and all that. So maybe we should do a podcast episode on what as a dietitian you could and should speak of in terms of fitness, like what the scope of practice is as it relates to fitness specifically. Yeah. There's probably a lot there. I actually, yeah. And I think the scope of practice, I think would be a good thing to just talk just about. Just generally general. scope of practice. Yeah. Fit which the fitness in there. And the fitness would be in it. Cause it's um, like the Academy has a scope of practice document. That's pretty long. Upcoming, <laughs> upcoming episode. But that's, that's a really good point to make because Thanks. Um, Thank you. a lot of people are kind of not sure. I made that point. And it is, no, and, and the thing with the scope of practice is it's actually kind of vague, and it, which is an, in a sense good because it's it relies on what your expertise is and there's different levels to it. So yeah, totally good topic to talk about. Sweet. Yeah. We'll, we'll um, have to do that one after we finish the series. Yeah. So kind of bringing it back, I guess, to food maybe. Um, well, was, I just, you know, we keep talking about fitness and I just wanted I to see if it was even within the scope of practice for a dietitian to talk about that. And I know you're, you are a personal trainer and mm. for you, it's like yeah, a thing that's, you're just, it's part of your business now. Yeah. But for other dietitians, I wasn't sure how much of a part of their business it could be. It's good to know that they have the ability to talk about fitness in a more general way that it is within their scope of practice. That's my able to know. I don't know if every dietitian would even really consider that. Yeah. It's one of those things that like in undergrad, it's, it's kind of like packaged in with everything we do in terms of like talking about general exercise recommendations. And even, even in my nutrition class that I teach, we talk about exercise, but it's not in the sense that they're going to prescribe somebody a workout plan, but just knowing what the recommendations are, you know, what the CDC says. And that's one thing that, you know, if you find something on like the CDC website, they're a really good web, uh, resource for um, exercise, but they have a lot of really great tips for people getting started too, that you can always share with clients. So, Okay. So we talked about, um, you know, measuring progress and um, tracking things. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I think I just cut you off. But well, <laughs> it just made me You're think, the dietitian, so. <laughs> it just made me think though, um, one of the reasons why tracking can be so helpful is to be able to have people look back on the how much progress they've made so far. So if they do have like a lapse or, you know, they're off track, you know, um, as to what a lot of clients say, like I'm totally off track this week, you know, and sometimes they can get really discouraged and really negative being able to say, you know, well, look at what you've accomplished so far. And so sometimes like I have a lot of people that like to track their intake or, um, you know, track, the, save the recipes that they've made over time. And like, they'll just look through and be like, oh, well, I've actually had, you know, tried a lot of things, you know. And so if they have a rut that they're in, you know, being able to look back on what they've accomplished so far can be really empowering. Yeah, of course, you wouldn't be able to do that if you weren't tracking it the whole time. So being able to look back and, you know, not necessarily sit on your accomplishments, but to just look back and know that you have made progress, you have done things. Mm -hmm. That could, yeah, I see, I could see that being an effective tool for um, motivating yourself to continue on. Yeah. Uh, one thing in this stage too, you know, as a dietitian, that's really important is to kind of um, not be a cheerleader necessarily, um, be overly like, you know, yay, um, but to help clients celebrate because sometimes people get so into what they're doing that they don't celebrate the progress that they've made so far. 
So just kind of drawing a little bit of attention to that um, can be really helpful sometimes. So The cat does not care about what we're doing No, right she now. just straight up left. She was there the whole time last time <laughs> on the chair next to you, which no. is why we have that chair there now. It's just an empty chair. Like She's it's meant for a third person. <laughs> she just jumped down, got a little drink, and then and walked into the other room. She does did not she care about this at all. No, she didn't. <laughs> um, what, uh, what do we think in terms of time frame here for action how long do they stay in action and do you do you have a certain amount of time in mind for them to transition into maintenance so usually um oh she's back usually it's like six months that people tend to be in this action stage where they're building up building up building up to a point where they i don't want to use the term plateau but they plateau with where they're at you know in terms of they maintain you know, so people sometimes well, think of plateau as negative. Yeah, but. I was going to say it has a negative <laughs> connotation. But they're not, not necessarily plateauing; they're achieving. Yeah, and so then that's when you know we'll talk about maintenance next podcast. But when people get to the maintenance phase, they've hit a point where they are kind of at their peak. You know, in terms of whether it's nutrition goal that they set, exercise goal, and they enter into maintenance, and then that's where at maintenance, then they decide, okay, do I want to change things up, set a new goal, you know, do something different or continue with what I'm doing and maintain it over time. So you you get the feeling, I guess, that a client is ready to transition into the maintenance stage or rather that you treat them as though they're in the maintenance stage. It seems like there's not really a hard line between action and maintenance yeah. and that it's really not a big deal to flip-flop between them. Because if someone's yeah. in the action stage, they're in the right place. Yeah, exactly. And and one thing too, and usually one of the ways that I can kind of tell how clients are doing is our appointments space out. <laughs> so the action state, the preparation in the action stage tends to be a little closer together. And then as soon as they kind of start to move into like, you know, action to maintenance, again, everything's kind of really fluid. When they get to that point, they might start spacing out the appointments, spacing out the appointments where they don't they don't need me necessarily as much. And that's the whole goal is they won't need me. Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of one way to tell is that, you know, clients are doing well and they're like, well, I'll see you in two months instead of one because sure. they're feeling more confident. You know, they're doing things. They're, they're um, you know, if they run into any kind of like slip ups or anything like that, they can address it themselves. And that's, you know, the more you start to see the confidence increase and in them troubleshooting kind of on their own is more so where you start to see people moving into maintenance. Yeah. There's one thing about this method that's nice, too, is that it prevents you as the dietitian from kind of selfishly making someone dependent on you so that you have mm -hmm. a client for life. You don't really want that, I would assume. That's not really the goal. And uh, believe you me. I'm just some guy, but I used to work in a hospital. There is no shortage of people who um, can become your client, mm -hmm. especially in the United States or I would imagine other first world countries. Uh, you're not going to need to create a dependency, and it would be unethical to do so anyway. But the uh, goal here is that they transition to a point where they don't necessarily need a dietitian. But, you know, I could see people seeing value in um, becoming your long-term client where they see you a few times a year. Yes. And that's something um, we'll definitely highlight in maintenance where it's it's not to say that all of a sudden you're like, okay, goodbye. You know, <laughs> you're in maintenance stage. You don't need me. Most people um, have these appointments covered in their insurance anyway. Yeah. And sometimes it's like a check-in. It's like if you go to like a wellness visit at the doctor, you know, you check in, see how things are going. And, and sometimes it's it, just generating some ideas, keeping the engagement, you know, 
keeping things exciting or if you do offer different stuff in your business outside of just, you know, nutrition and counseling, you might see people filter into other areas. So I often have people who nutrition's on point. They're kind of like troubleshooting on their own and then they filter into the fitness aspect and or they transition into like group stuff versus one on one. And so there's totally a lot of opportunity there where it's not to say that you're just kind of like leaving people and like, okay, you're, you got it. You're you good now. See you never. <laughs> Goodbye. Get out of my life. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, and some people it is, they, they came, they got what they needed and they're like, I'm good, you know, and then. And you know. what those people do generally after that is they refer their friends and family to you. Very true. Because they've had a good experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even though they no longer feel they require your services, if anyone else in their life does happen upon a situation where they maybe do need a dietitian, mm-hmm. well, they have someone to refer them to. Yeah. Always a good thing. Yeah. And and the other thing too is that, you know, sometimes people they came to you for one thing and they've, you know, accomplished what they needed to or wanted to, they got what they wanted out of the visits. They're not necessarily looking to schedule more. But then something changes. So if you leave it on like a positive open note, you know, not forcing them to have more appointments just to have them you know, they're more likely to want to come back when their health changes or if something happens or they're interested in something else. Like I, I, you know, focus a lot on plant-based styles of eating and sometimes I'll have clients who come back to me for that. And like, I I know you do a lot of stuff with plant-based and I'm kind of interested in that. And so they start to explore those areas with me, but because I kind of left the door open. So, you know, keeping the door open is really helpful. And this is actually where it could be helpful to have like an email list so you're kind of, you know, every once in a while kind of in their inbox. You're just there, you know, <laughs> present, available. That's mm-hmm. all. And of course, people have different stages of life that they go through. You've been a dietitian for several years, many mm-hmm. years at this point, most of your most of your adult life at this point, I guess. Yeah. Weird to think about. You're so old. You That's turned me. she turned thirty. <laughs> I did thirty. Guys, she's thirty years old now. How about that? But you know, um, you've been a dietitian for a while now and you've mm-hmm. had clients that had your services and you helped them through a lot of things. And then suddenly they had a major life shift mm-hmm. where, you know, now they're pregnant or they're um, older and have older person problems and mm-hmm. things have like people's lives change. And there yeah. are ways in which their diet and lifestyle would have to change to roll with that. And um, so, you know, you get clients back or you help them through uh, different things. Mm-hmm. And um, that's always a way that you'll have longevity with clients. No one's life stays exactly the same their whole life. No. Yeah. Well, anyway, kind of getting into a long-term thing here. Just my thought because it's action and maintenance can kind of be, you know, back and forth depending on what, like they may be, they may be reset into action just by circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've had, you've had clients where like, you know, I, I don't know if gestational nutrition is like a thing in the scope of practice for a dietitian, generally speaking. Yeah, kind of more like the general sense of um, like gestational diabetes or general um, pregnancy nutrition, yes. Um, that's not my area of expertise. So I, I kind of know like the general aspects, but that's the kind of thing where I, I would probably refer to. It's just an example yeah. of someone who maybe um, was in maintenance, but then happens upon a new condition or circumstance in their life where it kind of pushes them back to action. Yes. Where they're ready to do things, but they're not sure what to do specifically. It might even push them back to preparation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like um, I've had clients where even just between the appointments, something changes. And so we set, they have this, they're like in the action stage, they're they're putting things into action. And then all of a sudden, like the next session, 
something like totally throws them for like the rail. So like I've had clients where they have appetite changes or whether it's related to an illness or actually getting pregnant. And so they're like, I have nauseous. Like the idea of meal prepping and planning is like, uh. and so, it's, you know, you take a step back and you reevaluate and you set new goals. And so it's kind of, you know. Yeah. So working. it sounds like preparation, action and maintenance can all kind of be somewhat fluid themselves. Yeah. Typically you'd like to see someone stay in action, but there may be a life event that creates the need for them to kind of oscillate back to preparation temporarily. Yeah. And one thing, you know, and this is, it kind of seems obvious now um, that I've been doing this for a little bit, but I used to think that like, this was almost like a failure on my sense that people kind of relapsed or lapsed that like, I didn't support them enough. I didn't help them enough. And um, that's not true, you know? And, and again, as kind of like a newer dietitian, I used to take a lot of that on myself to say like, I didn't do enough or I didn't set them up for success. And, that's just something to keep in mind is that, you know, people are going to make their own choices, but it's, it's kind of your jo- job to be there and help them. Um, but you can't solve all their problems and, you know, you're not the one doing the action or the thing. So it's not like a failure on, you know, your part as a dietitian if you see people lapse because it's naturally that that thing's going to occur. So You can only do so much. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you can give someone all the tools to be successful and if, and if they... At the end of the day, if they don't act and there's nothing you can do, I mean, sometimes, you know, you can only do so much as, as the dietitian. Yeah. And one thing, too, is that you shouldn't be working harder than your client. <laughs> um, That's a good phrase. <laughs> That's a good phrase. I only know? recently read that somewhere and I was like, that's a good point because <laughs> well it's it, that's so you know another business analogy it's um, the 80 20 principle a lot of times you can find that you know a very small minority of your clients are the vast majority of your communication mm-hmm. and um, your time and it may be within your best interest to drop a client or two if they refuse to or just don't act Mm-hmm. You know that, and it's a shame. But you, as a so, you're not only a dietitian if you're in a private practice. You are a business owner. Mm-hmm. You have to make business decisions. Sometimes dropping a client is part of that. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had to drop a client, but yeah, it, it may come to that. It may come to that, and sometimes, sometimes you know, it, it sounds drastic, but like sometimes I've not necessarily dropped clients, but um, helped kind of brought it to the attention of maybe they're not ready for change, and no matter what I do they're not ready for change. And yeah, so, <laughs> you could relentlessly pursue a client that is in fact a dead end. Yeah. And you're doing more work than your client at that point, I guess is what yes. maybe. Yes, and so like that preparation, that um, pre-contemplation and the contemplation stages, that's where you can really accidentally get into this phase where you're like doing way more than the client and you have to take a step back and say, maybe they're just not ready for change. And bringing that up is totally fine to do and again, leaving the door open, like we talked about before, kind of plant the seed and kind of um, in a sense. But sometimes in the action stage, when when people have things come up um, that kind of derail them, like I, I've had a lot of clients where they've had death in the family or um, they, you know, the holidays came up and they're just kind of like, there's a lot going on or it needs to be referral to somebody else, like a therapist and being, you're not necessarily dropping them as a client, but you're you know, maybe referring them to somebody else that can help them actively in that moment. And then, you know, maybe they come back to you. And usually people don't necessarily stop working with me, but it's, it's totally okay. And it's, you know, it's even unethical sometimes to not do that. Um, 
in those stages. So that's just something else to keep in mind. Yeah, that's another skill is determining what the next step should be for the client and if it's not working with you, mm-hmm. whether it be stopping pursuing a client, whether it be referring them to someone else, or whether they're, you know, ready to transition into that stage where it's like, all right, see you twice a year. Yeah. You know, it's up to you as the dietitian, as the expert, as the business owner to make that decision with your client, I would assume with your client. Yeah, with your client. And one thing I kind of always ask myself is what's what's the best thing for them? What's the best thing that I can do for them? And sometimes it's me doing something with them and partnering with them. And sometimes the best thing is to refer them to somebody else. So, you know, taking a step back um, sometimes is really necessary. Yeah, I guess you as the dietitian, I guess you don't really run into the circumstance where like, you know, uh, in, in business, it can be that uh, a very small minority of your clients monopolize your time in terms of customer service, and usually those are the best ones to cut loose. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you don't really have that as a dietitian? Not necessarily, but you can definitely have some boundary issues, which I think we have a video on that on YouTube. Probably. Um, but that's a huge thing, too. Is We do. <laughs> we do. Um, check that out, because setting boundaries through this TTM stage is really helpful, too, um, and in business as a whole, because if you don't set the boundaries, again, this kind of leads into you, like, putting all your energy, and you're going to burn yourself out, so. Yeah, you really don't want that. Yeah, but yeah, that's, I've had that, too, where you kind of have to set the boundary, and sometimes clients, if they're not okay with that, you do need to kind of say, I think we need to part ways, and you know, not to say I don't want to see you anymore, but I think there might be a, a professional that might be better for you. I think, um, you know, we're just not kind of clicking. So maybe, you know. Being tactful seems like it's valuable here. Yes. In those instances. <laughs> Definitely. Acting with tact. All yeah. right. So with, with in terms of the action stage, I want to bring it back here. Let's let's talk about like timeframes. So how, how long? How long in the action stage do Gen- you have? Yeah, so this is kind of really loose, but generally like people tend to be in the action stage for about six months and then they transition to maintenance. Maintenance, usually someone is doing something actionable for six months. Okay, we kind of did talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So So six months of action is healthy. Yeah. Could be more, could be less. Yeah, yeah. They could definitely be more, definitely could be less. And that's usually one of the kind of the telltale signs (laughs) is the... um, the confidence level for people and the consistency that they're doing things. So people are doing things consistently. They feel good. They're having success each week. They're troubleshooting on their own when things happen and and kind of correcting that all screams to me that they're moving right into that maintenance stage. So I guess for action, it's more valuable for you as the dietitian to, to identify when they're ready to leave the action action stage and enter maintenance rather than like the client may never know that that's how you're thinking about it. Yeah. It sounds like this is entirely for you as the dietitian to identify, all right, are they in action or are we moving to the maintenance stage? Because it'll help you cater the way you interact with them. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, my biggest role in the action stage for a client is like clients is being the support system and like normalizing what's happening because <laughs> that's like the biggest thing. I'm their support system. I'm there to bounce their ideas off of and I'm there to normalize when things don't go as planned and help them to kind of recalibrate. But, you know, it is kind of in a sense for for you as the dietitian because you can identify, you know, once they move into maintenance, then then you're not, they're, they're kind of just doing it on their own and they don't necessarily need you, so. Yeah, so you can kind of dial back your, you know, you're not hovering, you're not over over coaching i guess yeah yeah that could definitely be a thing (laughs) all right yeah i think we i think we uh i think we summed it up here so do you want to bring it home 
this was this has been preparation in action. Yeah. So preparation, clients in the I will. So they're they're preparing, they're getting things, they're planning, they're setting the goals, they're maybe taking small steps, they're gathering resources, and then they move into the action stage, which is which is the I will. Um and or the I am, sorry. <laughs> I will to I am. How dare you? Um so when they're in the action stage, they're I am. So they are I am doing this. I am exercising. I am eating more vegetables. I am tracking my intake, you know, all these things. Um, and during those stages, you are there to help kind of support. Um, you're there as a uh, way to kind of help normalize the experience, you know, tweak goals as they need, it, need to um, and really help them to kind of celebrate as they're kind of working through that action stage. So. Yeah, I would say that's a good summary. Mm-hmm. I like this. Uh, the more I learn about this stages of change, the more I like it, even mm-hmm. as um, something that applies to Everything, not just dietetics. Yeah. <laughs> Preparation, action, maintenance. Yeah. It's so funny when you mention that now. Like, I just keep thinking about, like, business as well, a whole. Well, planning and execution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's not really, I don't think there's really, like, a maintenance. Well, I guess there kind of is in that regard, too. Mm-hmm. Good stuff to know as the dietitian, but also pretty valuable to know if you're a client. Could be valuable to know this stuff, too. Yeah. And actually, I, I used to think it wasn't beneficial. My people shouldn't know this, but... It's actually, I've, Secret. <laughs> I've brought this up with clients and it, to be honest, when you talk to them about it, it helps to normalize kind of where they're at. And then it also, depending on where they are in, in the stages, sometimes learning about this can be helpful for someone because they can identify, you know, what behaviors that they're, they're, you know, experiencing that others have and how they might you know, use it to their advantage. So yeah, helping to normalize, be, I think is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of people will ask me, they'll say, have you had other clients like this? Or, and like, give me a scenario. I'm like, yes. And it's not to belittle their experience. It's just, you know, people go through this and sometimes finding that support can be really. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of people, and this is human, it's human nature to think that you are the protagonist in a book about you. Mm -hmm. That's it's human nature. So you don't know that people are going through the same thing you're going through because you're not overtly aware of other people's lives. Yeah. You know, most people are too, um, or most people are all too similar to, to you um, and they are going through the same thing. So it's generally speaking, it's pretty normal yeah. to go through the things that, you know, in this sort of instance you're going through, which is why this method works so well. <laughs> and um, it's kind of an umbrella method for so many things. Yeah. That's why it works. Mm-hmm. All right. I think we, uh, I think we nailed it. What's, what's next? Yeah. So next is uh, part three. So we'll talk about maintenance and the termination aspect and kind of what happens in those stages, what you can do as the dietitian, which we kind of highlighted a few things today, but, um, you know, how this can actually look in terms of a practice and, and, um, you know, helping people in those stages too. So, all right. So that sounds good. Next up will be maintenance. And then I guess a bit on termination. Yes. Which sounds super negative. I'm sure (laughs) there's a reason why in it and we'll, we'll talk about it then. Yes. All right. That'll do it for us here at, um, my RD journey, mm-hmm. Felicia Peraza of PerazaNutrition.com. Check her out on all socials, links in the description, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, Friendster, <laughs> Tumblr. No. No. Oh. <laughs> what? What's wrong with Tumblr? How dare you? Oh, wait, never mind. She's most active on Instagram and um, I guess Facebook too. Yeah. Instagram, definitely way more active and then uh, Facebook. Yes. And um, your website, parazanutrition.com. Yes. Where you can find all of her links, services, and more about Felicia there mm-hmm. as well. Felicia Peraza, MDA, RDN, LDN, CPT. Mm-hmm. Possessor of the ACSM Certified Personal Trainer Certificate. Right? I guess. Yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm just reading things off of my page now. That'll do it for us here with My Already Journey. Anything else to close with? 
No, I, I think we covered a lot of really good stuff today. So thanks for listening slash watching. Thanks both. very much. <laughs> Until next time, see you then. Bye. That was good.